point. Um, Recording in progress. So I, I have us read these passages um, to illustrate a, a number of things. In Luke, we see Jesus giving us a description of the cost of being a disciple of, of him, right? There is a cost of being a disciple of, of Jesus Christ. It is a, it's a costly one. <clears throat> it's costly in two ways. There's a cost for not following him and there's a cost for following him. The cost of not following him is to save this life and to lose eternal life. But the cost of following him is a calculated cost. And he tells us this on the Sermon of the Mount, if I'm not mistaken, I forget which chapter. But he says, who, um, when considering uh, to go to war, does not first sit down and begins to calculate the cost if he has enough funds to be able to go to war with with an, an opposing um, army, <clears throat> we are in 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 a war, and we have to calculate how much it will cost us. And this is interesting because, in one way, in one sense, we don't really know. We know what it will cost us, or what it can potentially cost us. We we know the potential of the cost, but we don't know what in real life, ten years from now, twenty years from now. What it will in fact cost us. The Lord can ask of us very, very, very hard things. Okay. <clears throat> so I have us read there in Luke to, to provide us with an understanding of that this isn't a, a cakewalk. This isn't a walk in the park. Okay. And so... And I'm going to get to the next point here, um, the, the following verse. But, um, yes, so Julia reads uh, John 13. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, our, our being, uh, we, we being disciples of Christ requires this element of love. Okay, this element of love. We, we can sacrifice, we can do so many different things. We can um, serve, we, we can, you know, the list goes on. You fill in the blank. We can fulfill all these things. But the Bible makes it very clear in, in 1 Corinthians 13, if we have not love, we are just a, a clanging cymbal. We are, we are just a noisy gong. And, and, and I want to, you know what, I, I didn't intend on uh, pausing here for a moment, but I think it's needful to do so. <clears throat> do make sure that whatever, whatever we do, we do in genuine love. Genuine. Um, I think it's easier when, when we haven't lived very much life as a Christian. Um, and sometimes, sadly, even more sad than that, sometimes people can live many years as a Christian, have become acquainted with their own failures, have been very familiar with their own failures and their own sin and their shortcomings, and yet somehow, some way, we do not extend grace to those who are most in need. And, 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 and somehow we are acceptant or justif we justify what we do. And I think 
everyone has a temptation to do this, right? Because we don't want responsibility, but we want others to be responsible to obey the commands that make it convenient for us. It, it sometimes is convenient for other people to obey God, because if they don't obey God, it somehow affects us. It's like, I don't want you stealing my stuff, or I don't want you cussing me out. I don't want you doing all these things that harm me. <clears throat> but the sad, the sad reality is so often, much of our service for God is deficient. It is lacking in love. And I think one of the most crucial ways that we will arrive to genuine love, okay, is understanding who we really are in light of God, in light of His holiness. Okay, but that's not enough because you can know who you are in light of His holiness and be afraid of terror because of how holy He is. But we have to view ourselves and view God in the proper light of His holiness and yet His abundant love and His abundant mercy. <clears throat> and what that begins to do is it begins to shape our hearts for how it ought to respond. Or how we ought to respond. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. But we ought to be growing. You know, or in my earlier years, it was it was much easier for me to lash people with the word. And I treated often the word of God as, as a as a how can you say it? The you know the 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 butchering thing, you know, they use in the you know the meat lockers. You use the word of God in many ways like that and you know, the Lord, is he's a delicate surgeon, and he's very precise how he yields the word. And he knows exactly how to delicately, you know, um, take out cancerous things in our hearts. He knows how to do that. But so with that said, there, there ought to be an element of love within our discipleship, within being a disciple of Christ, and with ourselves making disciples and this is so so true and i want i want you guys to write this down or in your head in your heart and your paper paper whatever but write it on the tablets of your hearts people don't know people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care people really don't care how much you know until you how do they know how much you care and i remember earlier in my years i loved and I still do. I love fascinating things, learning things about the Bible. I remember often sitting at the feet of, of aged men with gray hairs and after services and asking them very, very profound questions. And there's a place for that. Um, but there was much of an acquaint. There was much of a, a desire merely to know. But there wasn't that great of a desire to know a man of God or to know the people of God. It was more of, I just want to become obese and fat with the knowledge of God, but I don't really want to give out. Okay, and so a lot of times um, book nerds are, are, are tempted to do this or people who always watch videos or people always have this proclivity or this temptation, this inclination to always discover something fascinating or novel-like or you know, something that the average person doesn't really know, and that can lead you down um, unfruitful paths, and, and it can cause us really to become a hermit. And that's not the lifestyle Jesus called us to. 
That's not the life that the Lord called us to. And certainly there is a place, and I want to make sure that I do stress this, there's a place of knowing things. And we ought to want to know more. But it should not be at the, the, the expense. It should, in our pursuit of that, we should not then say, well, getting to know people or loving people, it doesn't really matter very much. And, and so one of the things that I sadly learned, and I, I was greatly mistaken, and, and it's easy even to somehow come to believe it today, even after you've witnessed it many times and time and time again, there are people that are very gifted. They'll know the Bible. And I used to be very impressed by that. Someone would know the Bible. It's like, oh man, I know in the book of Revelation and I can go right here. I know how to cross-reference. I know my Greek and I know my Hebrew. But my character stinks like garbage. I, st- I have a stench. And no one wants to be around me. I posted this on my Facebook and I pointed out that little children were attracted to Jesus. Have you ever recognized that, little children? But if we're always composed of the very grave sort of, don't come near me, I'm I'm too holy sort of attitude, and, and it exists out there, then... Do you think children are attracted to that? That doesn't mean that we don't have a standard of God's righteousness and His holiness and and uprightness and all of that. That certainly exists. But please tell me how it is reconciled that Jesus, the 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 holiest man, the God man that walked the earth, had nevertheless had prostitutes and drunkards and tax collectors and extortioners all flocking to Him. And see, what we failed to understand is we immediately think that when Jesus was crucified, that all the people wanted him crucified. That is not true. It was primarily the Pharisees. It were those who were in positions of power, the the religious elite of his day that really despised Jesus. It wasn't the average common person. And don't get me wrong, there are certainly those people who did not like him very much. Right? But he he wept at our funerals. He had compassion on the poor. He says he, he looked upon the multitudes and what was his heart? He said, my heart goes out to them. I have compassion on them because they're like a sheep without a shepherd. They are harassed. They're harassed like sheep without a shepherd. He wept at our funerals. He sympathized with our pain. The Bible says in Hebrews, he's not unable to be empathized. He's not unable to empathize with your pain and with mine. The Bible says he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, his heart can be touched. There's a rhythm and a melody that is played on on the heart of Christ. And it's like music to his ears. When he hears the cries of a broken man or a broken woman and says, Lord, I need you. I don't know where to turn. I don't know where to go. You're my only hope. I I need, I need you, Lord. And so this was the character of Christ. 
his love for people. And so it's understandable why people were willing to die for the name of Christ. Not because he was some wise guru who knew all the answers to everything. Not even because he healed the sick. Because how many faith healers are there out there and people, I guess, get blessings and stuff, but once again, their character is garbage. People really want to know at the end of the day. You know, as I've said before, I remember one time I was going through a crisis in my life. It was a very horrible time in my life. And I was working as security and I asked this pastor. I didn't know who the pastor was. I was um, I was working as security and it was at like this agricultural center and there the, it could be rented out for large parties or weddings and stuff like that and um, certain activities. And there was a there was a pastor who had a booth and I asked him for prayer. And he gave me the cold shoulder and he actually denied to pray for me. And I I was I was in the flesh, so I was really tempted to slap him. <laughs> um and that might sound ungodly, but I think his response to me was more ungodly than me tempted to slap him. I think that's ridiculous. But then later that night I had a friend, my coworker, he's an atheist. And yet, he grew up a Christian. <clears throat> but he began using the Bible as best as he knew to comfort me. And that always stuck with me. I felt loved by him. I felt, I felt like he cared. Even though he didn't believe what I believed, I felt like he cared. And I still remember his face to this day. And <clears throat> so... Um one other one other story I want to share. I remember one time listening to Leonard Ravenhill and he was talking about a man, forgot his name, but I guess he was a great evangelist in the eighteen hundreds. And whenever he entered town, the drunkards would take off their hats as a sign of respect. And they would they would, you know, uh wave their hats and they would belligerently, you know, with slurred speech say this is a man that loves our soul. And they, they, they would all exclaim it. Here comes the man that loves our soul. And I think, that, I think that's so beautiful. I think that's really amazing. Now, we all have different temperaments. We have different personalities. And some of us might reflect more of a bold character. Some of us might reflect more of a gentle like character but in either regard in either way we should give off nonetheless a love and so that leads me to my next point so number one is counting the cost number two th this is all under this theme of discipling others and being the disciple of christ um what you know forgive me one other thing i want to say <clears throat> When you, when you walk in that, we don't remember many sermons. We don't. There, there are some sermons we probably do that are very, very monumental and are very impactful. It's like, wow, that God used that sermon really, really to touch me. But for the most part, we don't even really remember a lot of details in books we've, read, we've read or, or sermons or even at conferences and stuff like that. 
But you know, you know one of the things that we certainly remember is a man or a woman of God in our lives that had unconditionally loved us. Unconditionally. They're always, they're always asking genuinely, not because they're trying to be fake, how you are really doing, how your soul is doing. And they're not trying to be sin police. They're not trying to walk around with the Ten Commandments seeing who's measuring up and saying, thou shall not, thou shall not. They're actually trying to speak into your life and tell you what you can do, not just what you can't do. And they're a voice of hope, they're a voice of truth, they're a voice of faith for you. And I think about this all the time, <clears throat> because we get amnesia, we forget. How many times have it been, has it been that we were most broken, where we were devastated, we were we perhaps even sinned greatly, and we had gone to the Lord, and He welcomed us with His love, and His mercy, and His patience, and His grace. I remember there have been times where I have sinned against the Lord, and and the enemy comes with condemnation and and trying to feed me the lie that the Lord is done with me and my life is over. And yet the Savior comes nigh unto me, nigh unto you, near to you, and he speaks words of hope and comfort, and he restores, he restores the broken reed. He says he binds up the wound of the brokenhearted. He says, I will in no wise cast out. That's what the word of the Lord says. And so when we come here and Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, you know what that requires to do that successfully? It's not to have a seminar. Not to be well versed in all these different books. Not to be mimic Billy Graham. You know, it's to be yourself. To love people. You don't have to know a lot of things. You just have to know a few things well. You don't have to know a lot of things. You just have to know a few things well. And what are those things? Number one, it's God. You must know God. You must know Christ. This is eternal life in John 17, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So that is fundamental. We must first convert to Christ in order for this process to work. But secondly, we must know we must not be scholars or experts of the word, but we must know it to a degree, a working... We must have a functional knowledge of the scriptures. What I mean by that is you can successfully live the Christian life with the amount of knowledge you do know. Right? Who Jesus was, why, what, what was the purpose for his coming... His death on the cross, His resurrection. You understand the Word of God to be His infallible Word. <clears throat> you, you have a working knowledge of this is the Old Testament, this is the New Testament. This is what Jesus expects of us. We ought to live holy, live righteous. We understand the principles of prayer. We understand having the need to be uh, infused with His power, with the baptism of His Spirit. Right? put off the old man, put on the new man. You know, there's a lot of very basic things. And he says right here that we are to go and make disciples, 
But that first assumes that we are ourselves disciples. And I want to I want to stress this idea very very importantly and there is a significant there's a very important there's a vast difference between merely being a churchgoer and being a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. They they um are radically different. <clears throat> A lot of people may go to church for different reasons. They may uh, go because it's traditional. They may go because it's customary. They may go um, um, for who knows what reason. But the reason for why we must... uh, But here's what Jesus is asking us. He's asking that we become followers of Him. We become followers of Him. And... In, in that process, in becoming followers of him, we then reach out and help educate other people how to then be followers of, of him, right? We, we follow, we, we first convert to him, then we follow, we learn, and then we then reach out to other people, not just get them saved, <clears throat> Because you can be saved and born again, and you have not learned to be a disciple of the Lord. Because a disciple in the Greek is the word mathetes, and it simply means a learned one, a disciplined one. And so there is this connection between a, a, a teacher and, and the student, and they learn. And, when, and that's exactly why Jesus had given intense focus to his disciples for the course of three years because they needed to learn, right? <clears throat> there was a lot of things. <clears throat> now, I, w- I want to say in contrast to that, that someone then might say, well, okay, that I understand that. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to seminary. I'm going to go to Bible college. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm saying that's not the solution. That's institutionalized Christianity. All that amounts to is mere formal, scholastic, school-like education that impact or informs the mind. But more than information, we need relation. In other words, relationship. We need revelation. We need impartation. And we need application. We need more than information. And that's why if, if the extent of our Christianity is merely browsing the web, then my brothers and sisters, you have a deficient and very shallow understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And I see this all the time. And they prove to be the f- most fruitless people I come across. I mean, it's more difficult. And I'm saying this, like, not trying to be arrogant. But it's, it's often most difficult for me to tolerate them. I, I'd rather be around someone smoking weed, a worldly person smoking weed or drinking in front of me, than someone who is so full of themselves in their head. And, and all, that they, all their much learning has made them mad, and yet they lack this fundamental element of social skills and love for people. Not to, not to toot my horn, but my wife will tell you, you know, I go to the store and I'm talking to everybody. I'm laughing. I'm greeting people. A lot of people know me 
or I'll easily talk to someone in the ca- the register, you know, and get them to laugh and and I think I think while Jesus wasn't joking around, I believe that people felt comfortable around him. Even do you understand that? Like he had throngs of people coming to him and yet he was so holy. You you get that? The, the, here are these people they're in darkness and Jesus is the light and yet the darkness not but here's here's the difference there are those who are humble and they want deliverance from their darkness. That's the difference. I'm not suggesting that all the people who had no intention on repenting or or finding hope in life or finding hope in Christ were thronging to him. There were all those people that harassed, all the people that wanted deliverance. They wanted a change of life. Do you understand there was a lunatic? He was naked in the tombs, would cut himself. Nobody can help this man. And he was infused by thousands of demons. And yet there was enough of that man's will inside that body that says, you know what? There's someone like the Son of God. Uh, There's a man named Jesus. And I know that I just can sense the power off him. And he runs to him and says, deliver me. That was what Jesus carried. That's who he was. <clears throat> but um, people are looking for security. <clears throat> people are looking for hope. You know, there's this brother I greatly respect. I love him. He's not arrogant. But he... And I, 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 like I said, I don't talk down on him at all. But I think that spends a little too much time uh, entertaining very high thoughts and stuff, and too much um, education, and just is so disconnected from people, very disconnected with people. And in order to successfully disciple others. Once again, you must know God, you must know your word, you must love others, but you must know yourself and you must know people. In other words, you we ought not to be lacking in people skills. That doesn't, and when I say that, doesn't mean we have to take a course on sociology or something like that. It just means you're very wise, you understand how people operate, you understand how people function. You're not... A, a, a thorn in everybody's shoe. You know, um, I've mentioned this before, but I remember <clears throat> when I first got converted, I loved being a thorn in everybody's shoe. And I would love to, I would always run up to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. And I would try to Bible thump them. And I would try to, you know, you know, tell them, here's why they're wrong. And then if I out-argued them, I felt pretty proud of myself. And I look back and I see how foolish that really was. And do you understand that something like that actually is very prejudicial? That's being prejudiced. Because here's why. You see a Mormon dressed up in a certain way. You see he has a particular book that then leads you to believe that he has a certain belief. But it's a certain belief that you actually particularly love trumping. And But yet you see all these other people harassed in sin who don't carry that book. And you're not as eager to go up to them. Why? 
because you're looking out at the outward appearance and you say, ah, this is a cult. Let me go shut them down. But what about the single mother that that has kids and, you know, you see she's frustrated, you know, trying to do everything by herself? Or what about even our neighbors? <clears throat> you know, there's a song that's uh, been ministering to my heart recently, and it was, it says, I'm the lawyer you met in the coffee shop. I know I seem fun, but I really am not. My life is crashing. And man, those lyrics are so deep to me, man, because how often do we see that lawyer or we see that nurse in the coffee shop and they have a plastic smile, but their life is crashing. Their life is devastated. It's ruined. And they're, they're, they're imprisoned. They're imprisoned to their sin. It's heartbreaking. And, uh, <clears throat> but anyways, that's, I want to get to this point and it's this, the goal isn't merely to get people saved. That's the, that's, that's half the struggle. I want you guys to understand that. <clears throat> that is half the struggle. It is a wonderful thing. When my boy was born, it was a wonderful thing. Everybody was celebrating, even the nurse. I almost fainted, actually. <laughs> I almost fainted. i like, ooh. No, like, seriously, I'm not just saying that to exaggerate. I said, is there a chair nearby? Because I feel like I'm going to faint. <laughs> and I started going like this. I started going like that. And uh, I was like, I, I got to sit down. I, I can't. Um, <clears throat> but anyways, everybody was celebrating but but how many nights how many nights have I lost of sleep because he's crying right or or me and my wife were tired because he's crying and crying and you know you learn I mean you, you, you like what do you do <laughs> And then you give them a bottle, but they're still crying. And you can't you can't just go to stores like you used to because you have to put them in the little booster seat and make sure they're secure. And you got to make sure they got their bottle. And if they spit up and it's like, oh, dang, what do I do now? The shirt's dirty. Now I'm going to. So it's an inconvenience. It's a burden. That don't sound good, but it is a burden. That's definitionally what taking care of another person is. When we think, I'm not saying a dread, it is a burden. And there are how many years of educating them, caring for them, protecting them, praying for them, loving them, pouring into them, imparting into them. This is a long process. I don't have the luxury of just saying, okay, son, what we're going to do is, you know, um, I'm going to give you this lecture and then for the rest of the week, you're just like everybody else. No, it's I, I, I want to connect. And then the, clo the, the greater the responsibility that you have for people, the, the more you're supposed to connect. You're supposed to have a relationship. You're supposed to be connected. And so, so like a father and a, and a, and a, and a son or a, a husband and a wife or even merely a friend right? 
there, there's a maintenance. There's a maintaining. And what happens when you don't maintain? Your house gets dirty. <clears throat> your car gets dirty. You know, or you, you can be like one of those airheaded girls that get their first car and they're like, I don't even know what to do. And, and, and they, they, they don't know how to take it to get an oil change and they just, the engine just ends up, you know, they destroy the engine because they have not prepped them. They first haven't become educated on how to maintenance the thing, right? And so that's why when people become parents, they don't know how to educate other people. You know, as a, as, a, as a father or as an adult, when I had become 18, I had to learn a lot of stuff on my own because of my father did not do that for me. And my mother was out of the picture. And let me say, it's a hard process to try to learn things by yourself. And even as an intelligent individual, even as a smart individual, even as an ambitious individual, even as someone that is somewhat independent and can do it on their own and even has God's help, they would rather not do it alone. Do you understand that? But what is the world telling us through media? Become Superman. Do everything. Be an independent woman. And forget the next man. For You don't need no man. You, you can play God and you know get all these little tubes and stuff. And get in, up in a laboratory and have a child yourself without a male. And we're trying to have a, a proud independent spirit. Bible tells me in Ecclesiastes that two are better than one, for they have a good return for their labor. Woe unto the man that falls, for he has not another to help him up. For the man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. But you know what? The people who actually want to succeed in life and be a successful, when I say successful, I don't mean bling, I don't mean money. When I mean successful, I mean you're actually living right before the Lord. Those who want a successful relationship with God, they come to a multitude of counselors. They, 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 they don't think that they have everything figured out. They're always in a state of humility and being willing to learn and be educated and to grow. Right? It's the spirit of humility. C.S. Lewis said this very wisely. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's to think of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself because you aren't less. Christ has given you worth. You're a child of the king. You're an ambassador for the living God. You're not lacking in worth. But it's to think of yourself less. Because he that is to be the greatest is to be the servant of us all. And that's why if we are seeking to help educate others, that means, guess what? You have to get over yourself. But you can't do that if Christ isn't sufficient for you. I, let, let, me, let me say this very challengingly. Do you ever lie on the bed and say, I wonder how brother and so-and-so is doing. I wonder how so sister so-and-so is doing. But you know what? That's not enough. Sincere desires 
don't actually get jobs done. That is good. It's better than the man who thinks evil of his neighbor. And it says, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to pray for this person right now because they're on my heart. God, God, no, God only knows what they're going through. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to check on them. You know, um, there are people today. I checked on one of my old friends. He ain't of a Christian. He's a gang member. And you know what's crazy? I'm not going to give too much detail, but um, I had a vision of him. I had a vision that he died. He got shot. And um, I said, I said, I know this is random, man, but I said, I hear from the Lord. And this is a warning. I don't know what you're doing. I don't even want to know. Don't tell me any of your business. Because I, I don't want to I don't want to be included in whatever you do. I said, but um you gotta you gotta cut out certain people. And from my knowledge, he was doing pretty good. He was working, taking care of his family, whatever. So from what I seen posted, all I could see is that he's doing good. But I felt in my heart something wasn't. I said, there are certain people, bro, you got to cut out. And he said, dude, he said, I'm not, tell- not going to tell you details, but something was going to happen. And he kept it vague. And I'm glad he did because I don't need to know what the something was. He said, and I told him, I said, I believe if you don't keep things right, you're going to die. And he says, I-, I needed to hear that. He said, that's exactly what I needed to hear. He says, uh, a lot of stuff are going on. And um, so anyways, I say this because the Bible says that if I say to a wicked man, you will surely die. And you do not warn him to speak out to dissuade him of his evil ways in order to save his life. That wicked man will die for his sin and I will hold you accountable for his blood. That's a heavy thing. But anyways, coming back to that idea is. Do do we do we think about other people? Do our hearts go out to other people? Do we want to help? You know, <clears throat> when I was working at the homeless mission, I had a pr- I, I loved I loved working there. Actually, I, I did. It wasn't uh, some of the tasks were pretty pretty humbling. They were pretty humbling, but I I had the privilege of being able to work with some pretty messed up people, man. Messed up people. I mean, people that were insane, people that tried killing themselves. I had to call the cops or the ambulance like two, three times a week because something is going on. Some someone's coming on the property. They're 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 insane in the head. They're saying crazy things or they're bringing weapons or there was this one guy I was having to take care of. He was blind. Okay. He was a man from India. He was blind. I would have to help take him to the kitchen, make him something to eat. He was, he had to go through dialysis where they have to purify his blood because he got, and there was other symptoms. And sadly, every day I would have to give him like a handful of pills just to help keep the guy alive. I mean, I've seen people that 
um, their lives are ruined just about because drugs mess them up or they don't know how to function in society or they hear voices it's 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 sad or people um they have so much issue so much trauma that they 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 lived a street life for 40 years or or 30 years and so now finally they get tired of it and they they want something new you know i, I met a guy who had a call of a pastor on his life and i've seen him the Lord gave me a prophetic vision of him. I've seen him in black shoes, black dress pants, a black suit. I've seen him holding a Bible. I said, you're supposed to be a pastor. He said, bro, how do you know that? That was prophesied over me. I didn't even know that he had gone to church. I said, the Lord showed me. He's saying, stop running from your call. And he looks down, sad. He said, bro, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I said, no, you don't. And I got to pray for him. Begin to cry. Just tears begin to sh- fall down his eyes. That form of compassion for people <clears throat> that will make you a relevant Christian. If you want to be relevant, not relevant as skinny jeans, ripped jeans, with a little nice little slick hairdo, with my little coffee on the, you know, little mocha on my little nice little pulpit platform while I'm preaching to my 5,000 people. Not that sort of relevant. If you want to be irrelevant and a fruitful and effective Christian, what is this? Are we willing to go down that low with other people? And you know what? I went to go turn in my cans just the, just the other day. You know, a brother helped me. I had a lot of like plastic bottles and stuff. I did this probably like maybe last month or something. And I went to the recycling center <clears throat> The, the homeless mission, they, they have a recycling center. And I went there, and then the guy said, Is that Greg? Hey! Hey! They were, they were happy to see me. Um, <coughs> this isn't to toot my horn, but I, I say this because I want it to be driven within our minds that that is the sort of response that people, not maybe not everybody, but if people don't respond that way, we have to ask ourselves why. Why? Why? Why aren't people happy to actually see us? Maybe is it because we really don't care about other people? Maybe we do, but we don't show it. I remember that that guy that said that. I'll be working. <clears throat> And you know what? He would tell me all his problems, his relationship problems. And you know what I gave? A listening ear. And I would ask him questions. Tell me more. Because you know what? So much people, they have so many toxins and they just want, they want someone to care, someone to listen. So, <clears throat> um, let me let me kind of get through some points. I know I'm sorry I'm kind of scattered over the place, but I, I I really wanted to focus in on that aspect because if we if we miss that, we can be the the greatest flaming sort of John the Baptist that has hit the streets. But if you do get com- converts, they won't last because they will see they will feel the disconnect of your lack of love. And that's what will keep people. Not keep people serving God. 
Because the goal is this. Once again, remember the goal isn't conversion. The goal, well, that's half of the goal. Kind of how relating back to my son, there's a lot of maintenance you got to do. And that maintenance means they should want to be around us and be connected still. Because that is a very important aspect to their development. And you know, it's a very hurtful thing. If you win someone and then because of maybe your own toxic character, they don't want to be around you anymore. That can be a very hurtful thing. Not saying that God just called them elsewhere or whatever, but like literally there's something about your character that makes them feel un- uncomfortable or just always at odds. Or um, <clears throat> So I want to get to this key idea here when we're talking about discipleship and we're talking about being disciples and it's just this key word, write it down, association. I see this a lot on Instagram and, and I appreciate, you know, some things that are offered. I see it on YouTube and I see it, you know, a lot of different places being advertised and people are saying, hey, come take our Bible class where we will teach you textual criticism or we'll teach you Greek or we will teach you Hebrew or we will teach you apologetics. We will teach you um, the first three steps of X, Y, and Z. Once again, I'm not bagging those people. I'm not I'm not trying to discredit that because that's going to be for some people and that's pretty good. But the problem is there's no association. There's no association in the context of relationship. There's no connection. And I want I wonder who's the model? The model is Jesus. And I had taken some of these principles from a book on discipleship. And I think that uh, this man had been in ministry many years and he, he had a lot of great concepts. And I just want to kind of present them to you. And the number one point is that Jesus stayed with his disciples. He stayed with them. He stayed in their lives and they stayed in his life. It wasn't just a little course that expired after a month and you got a little certificate and you went on your way and you continued life. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus made a practice of being with them. I've here written down all Jesus did to teach these men his way was to draw them close to himself. He was his own school and curriculum. So it wasn't like Jesus was handing out uh, tests and, and curriculums and you know, we're going to go point by point and, and this is the extent of your learning of, of the Word of God or, or to become a st- disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself was his own school. Jesus himself was a living epistle. Jesus himself was his own Bible college. That doesn't mean there weren't teaching moments, but you can either learn by precept or by example, by law and teaching, or by example. And the greatest discipleship merges both. <clears throat> I, I've, uh, I, I just have a little quote here. It says, 
The natural informality of this teaching method of Jesus stood in striking contrast to the formal, almost scholastic procedures of the scribes. These religious teachers insisted on their disciples adhering strictly to certain rituals and formulas of knowledge which distinguished them from others, whereas Jesus used asked only that his disciples follow him. From the gate he said, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That was the difference. Whereas the scribes <clears throat> accuse the disciples and say, These are uneducated, unlearned men. But you know what they perceived? The Bible says this very clearly, I believe in the book of Acts. But they perceived that they, they were with Jesus. That's what they perceived of these men. They perceived that they were disciples of the living Christ. They were not astonished by their much learning. They were not looking for their degrees. They were not looking for that. They seen that there was a radical transformation of life. And you know how that was taking place? In the close connection that they had with the Master. By association. And how many things did they glean from the life of Jesus by His example? Number two is to know was to be with him. The Bible says in Luke chapter 8 verse 10, to know, it says, well I have, actually I'm going to read the entire quote. It was by virtue of this fellowship that the disciples were permitted to quote, know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 8 verse 10. Knowledge was gained by association before it was understood by explanation. So, that's a big difference there <clears throat> is are we is is your future pursuits of trying to disciple other people is that going to be by just explaining or do is there an intent of saying i want to uh i want to i want you to get connected and i want to hopefully model for for you what this looks like. And so th this is why a big part of, 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 I know that there's a limitation due to, you know, us being online, but that's why prayer is I often lead in prayer. And occasionally I'll ask, hey, can you close or things like that? But primarily I want to model. Because if anyone's going to discredit us, it's going to be a dis people are going to discredit us because we are not doing what we ask other people to do. People need to see, hey, you're telling me to go down in there. I want to see you go down there first. <laughs> you're telling me to do this. Are you willing to go down? Have you gone down there? If if you haven't, then why are you why are you trying to act like you know you you're trying to encourage other people to. You're trying to say, hey, you know, hand out these tracts or street preach, but you've never done it a day in your life. You're trying to say, hey, cast out demons, but you've never cast out a demon. You get what I'm saying? And so that's, that is the big difference. And that's what Jesus was showing his disciples. I have here another quote. One living sermon is worth a hundred explanations. Are we living out our sermons? 
Are we living epistles? Are we walking Bibles? That doesn't mean that there isn't a place for explanation. <clears throat> but do people get to see the living revelation of God through our lives? At, at this point, I just, I just want to ask, maybe uh, before we continue, if there's any questions or anything that you may not have understood. I just have a little bit uh, left here. <clears throat> um, if you if you can really quickly turn to um, Mark chapter three verse fourteen. <clears throat> Mark chapter three verse fourteen. <clears throat> So the word of the Lord reads, He appointed the twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And then it begins the list of twelve. But notice, very very carefully, he says, He appointed the twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. This is why, once again, I've said time and time again, I don't believe in lone range Christian, lone ranger Christianity. There are a lot of people that will say, "Hey, you know, I I, I see so and so doing this," or I'm seeing these videos on TikTok, and and they they're inspired to do something. But their life reflects this ambitious, proud, arrogant, um, lack of uh, lack of humility sort of attitude, where they go out just by themselves, whether evangelizing or whether to start their own church. But they have never been with anybody. They've never have learned from anybody. They've never submitted to anybody. They've they've gone out by their own authority. But they haven't been discipled. And so you see very clearly that the authority that came, that the authority they have to go do that first came by being with the master. Do you see that? It's there in the text. And, and I and hope, well, I'll take some questions afterward, but <clears throat> if there are any, but I want us to see this because it's crucial. And I hope that you can see this. This is what makes the big difference between I'm a Christian but a churchgoer versus I am an actual disciple. I have actually been trained. This is a big difference. And it's not to elevate men. We are to have God in his proper place as the sole author of all. But nonetheless, we must have a balanced view that says, God nonetheless uses men. God uses people. God used a donkey. And God wasn't embarrassed to do so. If he see, this is why 
And I, I, it's hard to, it's hard for a lot of people, but the religious mindset has to be broken. See, I remember one time there was this guy, he was trying to lecture on Facebook, uh, one of the people that used to come to our prayer meetings, and this individual was saying, I don't need no man, I don't need to be taught, you don't need a teacher either, all you need is your Bible. I said, hold on, wait a minute. No, 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 no. And he was trying to back this person in a corner, so I just kind of, you know, came and um, undercut his, his statements. And I said, are you trying to teach this person that they don't need to be taught? Why didn't they just rely on God like you said they needed to do? So you're, let, let me get this straight. So you're teaching them that they should not be taught. So why are you teaching? Just shut up and go on and go about your business. He didn't respond because he's seen it was inconsistent. It's hypocritical. Don't teach me. I don't need to be taught. So there is a proper place that, yes, at the end of the day, the anointing, the Holy Spirit will lead us. But, but how many different churches are on each and every corner saying the same thing that God taught them? God doesn't have his mind made up somehow. He does. But you know what it is? A lot of people lack self-awareness and they're not humble enough to say, you know what, I don't know on these issues. And I can admit that. But these things, Jesus died, he's Lord, he's coming back. I know that for certain. God has taught me that. But in these other areas, I, I, I don't really know. And I'm, I'm striving to know, I'm learning. Right? But how many people lay claim to this? God taught me. And since God said, I don't need to hear from nobody. That's pretty, that can be true. But a lot of times I find that it's very arrogant. And a lot of people either using that deceitfully to shut you down, to uh, avoid argument or avoid their position to be challenged, or they don't see themselves clearly enough and they think that they're hearing from God, but they're not. Humility. Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think yourself with sober judgment. <clears throat> I remember I had an interaction with an individual and I asked them, I said, so you think I'm, I'm wrong? I'm willing to admit that if I'm giving good reason. But I said, let me ask you this question. When was the last time you were wrong? Ah, you can't tell me, huh? Because here's one of two options. Either you're infallible and you always get everything right, or you get things wrong, but you can't see it. Okay, so we don't know everything. We're not infallible. We can be in an error. In fact, um, there's times where I felt like some of the people in the group have corrected me. I'm not going to try to stand my ground and say, oh, no, blah, 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 blah. If after all, we're after truth, right? We're after more of God. We're after to see him clearly, the word clearly. From the mouth of babes, you have ordained praise, right? A baby can educate us. All right, so, but I want us to get this idea, though, is that a much of their learning was they were with him. They were with him. 
And what's going to happen is this. If you, if, you, if you testify the goodness of God and someone comes to salvation and you are ready, then you ought to give maintenance to that person. You ought to be following up with them. You ought to be checking on them. You ought to be praying for them. And your heart better break when their heart breaks. You better weep when they weep. Rejoice when they rejoice. And if they love talking about themselves more, allow them to talk about themselves. That's what babies love to do. I, 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 I. But you eventually break them from that. And you help them through that developmental process. Because they don't know what they need. All they know is I'm hungry. They don't know what they need. They don't know where to go. They don't know if they need formula or actual milk. They don't, you know, you hear what I'm saying? All they know is they feel these impulses. I'm hungry. Feed me, feed me, feed me. Right? But that's why you who are more developed and more mature, you know what you need to prepare for them. When I was first walking with the Lord, I was listening to people like, uh, uh, Joseph Prince and the Benny Hens and the TBNs and all that stuff. You know, I was listening to that and I didn't know better. I thought just because someone put up this Bible that it was it was all good. And I, I, I didn't know. And And through the first years of my life, no one taught me. So I had to stumble my way and bump my head. <clears throat> I just have a couple more points that we'll close, but I wanted to make that very clear is, is they were with Jesus Christ and that's what gave them the authority. You know, um, I remember the guy who mentored me, he told me this. (laughs) I remember one time I was in church and he told me, he told me to mop the floors, right? And I said no. But it, it, it was because I, I wanted to do something else. Or I was talking to other brothers and sisters, and he's like, hey, can you mop? It wasn't like a direct command, but he's like, hey, can you mop? And I was like, uh, no, you know, and I just didn't think much of it. It wasn't like I was trying to be rebellious. And uh, later he told me, he said, he said, young brother, he said, uh, Everyone wants to be called a servant of God, but no one wants to be treated like one. I was like, dang. He said, next time when you're asked uh, if you're willing, if if you can mop, you should want to serve. And that doesn't mean we're bossed around and told things. Obviously, there's a there's a point to where we can say no, and that's healthy to say no, to assert ourselves and say no. I don't want to do that. But if we're always saying no and rejecting the position of, of servanthood, then there, there, there tends to be a problem, right? And so I say that to say this, is everybody wants the pulpit. Everyone wants to think in terms of look at the glorious platform. I want to be up singing or I want to be up preaching. I want to be doing this or I want to win souls. But have you been willing to be told some things and to be educated by not being seen. 
not being seen for a while. And say, you know what? Uh, You're not ready for that. Oh, but you don't know. I, I know my Bible and I... And, and people will make a case. But submission begins where agreement ends. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called submission, right? And submission and unquestionable obedience are two different things. And I want you to understand that. doesn't mean that you just airheadedly accept everything. There is, again, yet a, a point to say no. But here, let me, let me give you one other example. Because I, I want to use myself an example of where times I've been offended. I remember one time I was barely learning the guitar. I was barely learning. And I wanted to go up so bad to play worship. And I knew some chords, but my rhythm pattern and things like that were off. And one of the guys told me uh, that I shouldn't play. And I, I was like, I didn't like hearing that. <laughs> But what does a servant say? What is best for the whole? What's the best for the whole of the people? I'm not going to think individually what suits my needs. I'm going to think collectively. What do the people need? And that's what a disciple maker should think like. And I don't know what ideas you have of when you think of disciple maker. I don't know what you think of. I don't know if you're thinking, I got to be behind a pulpit. No, it means being in relationship with someone that knows less than you and is less mature than you and is weaker than you. And you help them through that process. That's what that means. Because everybody needs that. Right. Um. There was someone recently that had begun going out and they got shaken up significantly for going out and preaching. And um, I'm kind of on the sidelines looking and I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's best to just learn and wait. Learn and wait. Don't be in a haste. To assert yourself or put yourself in positions. Um, And so here's his last following points. Um, It takes time. Takes time. To disciple other people. Sometimes ambition can get the the worst of people. And they're after whatever. I don't know. It's after big stuff. I, I I see a lot of times people are excited about a mega church or they're excited about something booming or even a career that's just real real popular or something or they're not interested in serving God if there's not hundreds or thousands of people. But you know what? You know what the Bible says Jesus he left the ninety nine for the one. And I, I remember this quote. Leaving the 99 for the one doesn't make sense until you're the one. Amen. That makes a lot of sense when you put it in that perspective. You're the one that's lost. You're the one hurting. You're the one backslidden. You're the one broken. And Jesus leaves for you. Jesus leaves for me. Do we have that mindset? So you know what? 
I'm going to go out for that one. I'm going to focus on this one. I love this one. This naive sheep that keeps making the same mistakes, keeps going into the same problems, keep whatever, right? I am going to love this one. Jesus had place for the masses, but he didn't focus only on the masses, right? He invested his time with with people, with his 12, and even more closely with his three. Is this making sense? Or am I speaking Hebrew? (laughs) Makes sense. Am I speaking African? Am I speaking Greek? Uh, last, Last thing. Actually, I, I want us. Um, I want us to turn to a passage here. Turn to Luke chapter twenty-two. So I want to show you from the text that I'm not just making this stuff up, you know, so you guys can have an understanding of <clears throat> how Jesus. I mean, because Jesus is, he's the goal, right? He's the model, and. He's the perfect disciple maker. So it's Luke chapter 22, verse 28. So he says this, he says, You are those, who is he talking about? He's talking about his disciples. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. He did what? They did what? They stood by him? So, what, what does that mean? I'm sure they had to know what trials he was talking about. Right? So, but but he says, you stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table and in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. See, people want a crown, but they don't want tribulation. They want authority, but they don't want a tribulation. They want, they want the success of whatever, right? They're, they want to be super Christian, but they don't want to stand by others in their temptations and trials. But do you know what? Jesus said it was because of their association with him in his times of trials and tribulations that therefore he then conferred to them a kingdom because they stood the test of time. They were tested. They were proven. Right? <clears throat> I rem- <laughs> I was I was seeing um, I don't know how I come across this video, but some two ladies were trying to well they acted like they were prophesying about a friend of mine who has a large following on YouTube, and they're also acting like they're prophesying about Marcus Rogers, and I'm like, what are you talking about? They they were off. 
And I'm saying this is a prime example of someone who put themselves in a position to be seen or heard. That's that's what that is. And you have a lot of that. They think that they're rendering service to God, but they're not. They're modern day Pharisees. Another example are those uh, doctrinal watchdogs or whatever they call themselves. They're like wanting the witch hunt for every person. They're, they've hired themselves as sin police and doctrine police. They're hiding behind bushes and saying, Ooh, who can I scope out? Who's the next false teacher? I'm going to get him. <laughs> I'm being facetious here, but but my point though still stands. In, it's like, nah, man, there's so much more to be doing you don't that's not what productive Christians do. And you know the times that Paul did point out people, you know why he did? Because they had a direct conflict with his doctrine and him personally. That's how he can say, "Watch out for Alexander the coppersmith. He did me much evil." Watch out for that man. Paul Paul was too busy to be scoping out all the pagans and all the heretical philosophers. He wasn't doing all that. He was out trying to win them. <laughs> That's what he was doing. But Paul was a proven man. He was a tested man. And he had learned some things. And and, and the, the early disciples, they followed Jesus. But let, let me share one other thing. In Acts chapter 18, verse 23, um, you don't have to turn there, but I just want to read this very briefly. And this will be the last verse. Acts chapter 18, verse 23 it says, and after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia, Pergia, and strengthening all the disciples. So you know what he was doing? He was doing follow-up. People have been one to the Lord. Now he's retracing his steps, going back to the places that he had won for Christ, and he began strengthening them. It wasn't a set it and forget it. <clears throat> so, in a close, I, I know that there was a lot of information here. And I don't want to bog you down. But there's so much in, in this topic that it's, it's difficult to unpack. But I'm hoping that you begin to see that true disi- being a true disciple and to truly disciple others requires a... A close association relationship, not just a formal um, course or something like that. They were with Jesus. They stuck with him through his trials. And so the goal is to go through that. Um, <clears throat> and this is you know, kind of following Paul's example here. I, I do hope that and I do pray that um, speedily the Lord will grant us opportunities so that we can, I can go out and begin to model what uh, it looks like to lay hands on people and and exercise their demons out of them and, and to street preach, win people, take them through that process and stuff. Because while explanation is good, I want to provide a model as well. Because and and 
Example and explanation. Example and explanation. They need to be there. Okay? And um, I, I hope that makes sense. Does it make sense? Um, yes. <clears throat> okay. Um, example and explanation is, is vital to the development of other people. And so <clears throat> that's why um, we have we as the church have to change. We have to change. I remember what <laughs> I remember some years back um I had gone to my old mentor's house and uh and I remember he said, make me a pot of, he said, can you make a pot of coffee? I said, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and he's like, what? You've never made a pot of coffee before? I was like, no, I never used to drink coffee. And so he said, here, let me, let me show you. And it's funny because you think of all things, it's like a pot of coffee. Like what, what, what is that? I mean, I love coffee today, but it was just something so simple. But it was someone educating you on life. And because of my association with him, I learned many things like that. That wasn't a Bible verse necessarily. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's what I want you guys to get. And so, um, <clears throat> that's why I make it a habit of to ask, you know, how are you doing, or, you know, um, so I want that to be a practice of yours, and, I, and I'm not looking for hands, but I want to ask this very challenging question, how often do you think about someone in the group, and you reach out to them individually, say, so, you know what, I've just been thinking about you. Or you came up in my spirit and I just, I want to see how you're doing. Are you okay? And sometimes people are so afraid and they're so shy. People, if you are mature, you have to be intentional about helping somebody. You think that people are just going to fall at the feet of someone and say, I, I really need help. But a lot of times people have so many problems and they don't do that. And when you begin to ask, like, whoa, I didn't know you were going through all that. But remember, we're servants. Remember, we love. Remember, we we begin to think about other people. As Jesus thought about us. You know, I, I remember there's been so many times where I'd be in a car or I'd be driving or be about my business. And I was going through hell as a Christian. Hell tormented in my mind and I wasn't even in a place to pray and there were times where the Holy Spirit would just come and he would meet me and some of the random places walking on the street I'd just begin crying because I would feel the presence of the Holy Spirit you know why? because he was intentional he was intentional coming to me because he's looking after me I'm his sheep. He's the good shepherd. 
He's the he's the head shepherd of us all. But you know what? You can be a big brother. You can be a big sister to somebody. There's some people that they're shaking in their boots and they're afraid and they don't know how to make it through another day or they don't know some things you know. And they need to know what you know, but they also need to know that you care. And people need someone to hold their hand to help strengthen them when they're weak and they're afraid. Because there's a lot of people out there like that. Why? How do I know? Because I was one. The devil would play with my mind and I didn't know the word enough or I didn't know if I was wrong, I was insecure, I wasn't sure what to believe. And I would get and hear this or hear that preacher say that and I, I, you know, and having that strong figure in my life, a brother that was much older than me, that helped to be that, that kind of that bulwark, that fortress that helped gave me certainty like, brother, this is what you need to do. This is, this is exactly what you need to do. This is that over there. That's confusion. I've been down that road. X, Y, and Z is what you need to believe. Here, look at that in the scriptures. And that helped me. That helped to develop me as a man. That helped to develop me as a disciple. That helped to develop me as a Christian. And I do not, I do not undervalue the absolute importance that that played in my life. I was taught how to think. I was very black and white in my thinking. I was challenged and I was pushed and say, well, have you considered this? Or, and, I, and sometimes it rubbed me wrong. It made me feel uncomfortable because I didn't want to see it that way because I thought I was right. And that's what leads to productivity. That's what leads to having character a lot of the times. It's <clears throat> scripture reading, yes. It's prayer, yes. It's God providential work in our lives, working events to sanctify us, yes. But you know what? He will place people in your life that know more than you, that have seen more than you, have experienced more than you. And then you have to be challenged and say, you know what? You have an option. I'm going to retract because I don't like to be challenged or I'm going to accept the growth and that's why people remain churchgoers and ineffective Christians because they just want to hear a word but they don't want to apply it they just love the, the their own thoughts I love my own version of Christianity and it's sad and it's very deceitful and you can run into that argument and justify yourself, argue everybody's wrong, that person's wrong, that person's wrong, and I'm the only one that's right. And doubtless, certainly, it is the case that there's a lot of things wrong in the church. We all agree, we can agree about that. <clears throat> but let us consider ourselves, lest we fall, as Paul tells us in Galatians. Right? 